Be patient, my brothers, for the Lord's coming is near. Reminds me of a speech in 1958 by Martin Luther King. He was on a speaking tour and he was nearly killed when he was stabbed by an assailant in Harlem. It was almost as if he was expecting it. Because in March of that same year, Dr. King gave these stirring words. We know that sacrifice is involved, that brutality will be faced, that savage conduct will need to be endured, that slick trickery will need to be overcome, but we are resolutely prepared for all of this. We are prepared to meet whatever comes with love, with firmness, and with unyielding nonviolence. You're listening to Life on the West Side. Here's Nathan Guy. I was sitting at the kitchen table asking Katie to help me come up with an introductory funny story about patience. She was in the middle of telling me her idea when I got up from the table to go and do something that had to be done right then. I got back to the table and she said, I think we found it. (laughs) I am not a patient man. The Bible uses all different words to talk about patience. One is long-suffering. You've seen that before. Long-suffering is the ability to withstand great pain and trouble, to put up with a lot without blowing up. Long-suffering. Maybe you've seen the word forbearance. If you have student loans due and you can't pay them, And so you write in desperately asking for help because you just don't have enough money at the end of the month. And the company says, we will give you a forbearance. That means we will let it go for a little while or a long while. Patience. Patience is the word we typically see. I am not a patient man. It's not my strength. On the other hand, my God is endlessly patient. I like that translation. It's a translation of a phrase you'll see at least eight times in the Old Testament where it says God is slow to anger. There's that word. Egypt, you're getting on my last nerve. You're treating my people terribly. I am going to put an end to this. I'm calling on you to stop it. Okay. How long are you going to give me? No more than 400 years, but not a day more. We read about the wickedness of Noah. I'm sorry, the wickedness of of the day in which Noah lived. That Noah had to put up with. Peter says that those people who were disobedient long ago, when God waited patiently in the days of Noah, as the ark was being built. Our Lord is not slow concerning his promise, says Peter, as some count slowness. Some Bibles say slack, as some count slackness. No, that's not our God. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting any to perish, 
but everyone to come to repentance. Paul in Romans 2 speaks about God's riches when it comes to his kindness, his forbearance, his patience. Don't you know, Paul says, that it's God's kindness that is intended to lead you to repentance? Sometimes we see bad things in this world. We see bad people doing bad things. And we wonder why in the world is God waiting? We forget. We forget that God waited on you and me. And he waits still. Bear in mind, said the apostle in 2 Peter 3 and verse 15. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. What if Paul thinks out loud in the middle of Romans 11? Uh, uh, what if? What if God bore with great patience the objects of his wrath? And what if he did that? In order to make riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy. An easier way to say that is to borrow from Paul's language in 1 Timothy 1.16. I was the worst of all sinners, he says. But do you know why God decided to save me, the chief of sinners? It's because he came into the world and saved sinners, and I was the worst. And he thought, now, if I'm going to have something in my trophy case, when it comes to sinners, Paul's the top of the list. And for this very reason, Paul says, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus could display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love's not easily angered. They're all saying the same thing. In the Old Testament, when it says God's slow to anger, the writer uses the word that means patient. So Christians are called to live out of that story. And that's why when it comes to the fruit that the Spirit gives, we're told the Spirit produces in our hearts patience. Timothy, young Timothy, He's getting letters from Paul about what it's like to be a young minister and who should, how he should be and who he should be like. And Paul says, you know all about my teaching. And you know about my way of life, my purpose, my faith, my love, my endurance, and my patience. When he writes to the young church in Thessalonica, Paul urges them to be patient with everyone. Be completely humble and gentle, Paul says in Ephesians. Be patient, bearing with each other in love. As God's chosen people, Paul says in Colossians, clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. In fact, Paul prays for the Colossians in chapter 1, and he prays that God would give them power, incredible power to endure, and that he would give them Patience. Even when you teach others, it's good to preach the word. It's good to correct. It's good to rebuke. It's good to encourage. But you're supposed to do it, Paul says, with great 
patience. And patience is needed for the long journey. In Hebrews chapter 6, the writer of Hebrews says, We don't want you to become lazy. We want you to imitate those who through faith and patience inherited what had been promised. In many cases, patience is needed and called for in the face of terrible persecution, trouble, and difficulty. Paul provides a laundry list of the things he's gone through for the sake of the gospel. Remember this list in 2 Corinthians chapter 6? He says, in troubles, in hardships, in distresses, in beatings, in imprisonments, in riots, in hard work, sleepless nights, in hunger, I commended myself to you. He's naming everything you can think of to show he's put in the work of ministry. But then he also includes, I commended, I showed myself, I proved myself in purity and understanding, in patience and in kindness, in the Holy Spirit, and in sincere love, and in the power of God. And that's why he's able to end that moving section with these hopeful words. Through glory and dishonor, dying, and yet we live on, beaten, and yet not killed, sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, poor, yet making many rich, having nothing, and yet possessing everything. Patient endurance is our calling, says Paul, without anger or taking vengeance. That's easier said than done, isn't it? You know, James, the Lord's brother, writes to an audience that is going through, it appears, incredible difficulty. It's hard to know if it's literal or metaphor in chapter 5, but it looks like There are some people there who are being tasked with slave labor. Some were terribly mistreated. Some were getting sick and thin while the rich and powerful got fat and lazy on their backs. And some were even killed while calling out for God to intervene. That's the language in James 5. And what does James say? James, who hears their plight and then remembers the example of his brother, He says, be patient. Be patient, brothers and sisters. Be patient until the Lord comes back. As an example of patience in the midst of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count blessed those who have persevered. You've heard of Job's perseverance, and you've seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Be patient, says James. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too. Be patient. Stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. That last line is so powerful. Miroslav Volf is a uh, is a European ethicist, and um, he's also a pacifist, which means he doesn't think that Christians should be involved in fighting and war and retribution, all that. And he was asked one time because you know that that view 
uh, you can imagine, gets a lot of interesting yeah buts. And one came back was, you must not believe in the wrath of God. You know, people who tend to take that view, we just assume, you know, they have flowers in their ears and all they care about is talking about people being nice to each other. They can't possibly know what real life is like. You must not believe in all those stories about the wrath of God. And he answers back, I've lived it. I've seen it. I've been in countries. I grew up in a country in which war just split us down the middle. I've seen babies ripped out of mother's arms. I've seen injustice and I've longed for something to be done. It's not that I don't believe in the wrath of God. The only way I could hold that view is if I believed in the wrath of God. That's not an argument for pacifism. It's an interesting point though, isn't it? Which is, it's because I know God will right all wrongs that I give up the need to do it myself. Isn't that interesting? Be patient, my brothers, for the Lord's coming is near. Reminds me of a speech in 1958 by Martin Luther King. He was on a speaking tour and he was nearly killed when he was stabbed by an assailant in Harlem. It was almost as if he was expecting it. Because in March of that same year, Dr. King gave these stirring words. We know that sacrifice is involved, that brutality will be faced, that savage conduct will need to be endured, that slick trickery will need to be overcome. But we are resolutely prepared for all of this. We are prepared to meet whatever comes with love, with firmness, and with unyielding nonviolence. Paul knew that the dream, the hope, did not always match the lived reality. Our hope is in the future. So he writes, the Lord is at hand. And drawing inspiration on that line, the Lord is at hand. Martin Luther King gave another memorable speech in Montgomery, this time 1965. And you'll remember these words. I come to say to you this afternoon, however difficult the moment, however frustrating the hour, it will not be long because truth crushed to earth will rise again. How long? Not long because no lie can live forever. How long? Not long because you shall reap what you sow. How long? Not long. Truth forever on the scaffold, wrong forever on the throne, yet that scaffold sways the future, and behind the dim unknown standeth God within the shadow, keeping watch above his own. How long? Not long. Because the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. How long? Not long. Because mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. If we believe that Christ is on his way, and we know that he knows all things, and we know that he has all power, and we know that we are safe in his arms and we belong to his son, Jesus Christ, why do we struggle 
with patience. Got a couple of suggestions. The first one is the age-old problem, pride. I don't know how far back it goes, but I'll tell you what, it goes way back. When a New Testament writer was trying to describe the kind of people you should pick to be your church leaders, he lists some things you should have and not have. And one of them, he says, is don't pick a novice, somebody brand new to the faith. Do you remember the second part? Lest being puffed up with pride, do you remember those, how this ends? He'll fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Pride goes way back. Pride says, I think I'm in control. Pride says, my way is better than yours. At least it's probably better than yours. It's most likely better than yours, and so I don't really want to wait on you. I'd rather you do it my way. Pride says my current view of the situation has to be right. What could possibly I gain by waiting and listening and learning? Do you think it's possible? It's possible that you or I might be wrong about something? I heard a speaker say once, well, I know I'm wrong about something, but I have no idea what it is. If I knew what it was, I'd change my mind and be right on it again. Is it possible we're wrong about something? Hmm. Is it possible we're half right about something? Is it possible we're mostly right, but still have something to learn about it? How about this one? What if we are completely right? But it's still better to wait, listen, learn, discern, hear how it might come across. Learn from those who've gone before, those who've done it before, those who've lived it before. Pride. Pride gets in the way of being patient. I was reading a management book in a former life, not that long ago. I was, uh, had a lot of people that worked under me, and so I was managing people and didn't, didn't come naturally, so I was trying to read books on how to do that. And I remember this great line from Warren Buffett. He said, you can always, I'm going to clean up the language a little bit. He said, you can always tell someone to get out of town tomorrow. You don't have to do it today. What you can do today is to listen, to learn, and to think on it. Makes sense, doesn't it? Another thing that gets in our way besides pride is cynicism. Cynicism, oh, it's terrible. Cynicism is the lack of faith. Lack of faith in anyone. And that's when we really don't think it's ever going to get better. Why be patient if we're just convinced there is no good end to this story? Cynicism happens when we let the difficulties of our current existence and experience form our understanding, not just of what is, but of what is possible. As long as we focus on the problem, we'll never see the solution. Christ was no cynic. Christ taught us about hope. It's hard to be cynical when you have hope. It's hard to be hopeful when you're a cynic. 
The third thing that gets in our way from being patient is that we forget. We forget. There's that amazing parable in the Gospel of Matthew. You know, a lot of the Gospels, they all have great stories. Usually when you hear a parable and it's about somebody on the outside getting helped who's been hurting a lot, it's probably in Luke. Luke really cares about that kind of stuff. And then Matthew gets, uh, gets mislabeled because he seems to always be about doing the right thing and working hard, and that's all he cares about. Well, one of the greatest parables about mercy comes in Matthew's gospel. It's a parable about a man who owes so much money. He could not pay it back to the king if he worked every second of every day for the rest of his life and his kid's life and their kid's life. Couldn't pay it back. And the king forgives every single dime. He's on his way back home thinking about what a great gift he's been given when he sees somebody along the road that owes him money. Nowhere near what he owed. We're talking pocket change. Just pay me back. The man begs him, no, please have mercy on me. I can't pay it back. Grabs him by the throat. No, no, no. You're going to pay me back. I'm going to throw you in jail till you pay me back. it's It's what you promised to do. The king hears about that, and the king says, how quickly you forget. Forget. I forgave you such a big thing. You can't forgive someone such a small thing. Aren't there stories in your life when you can think of people who were patient with you? Oh, I can think of some. Some would make great stories, and some I'm taking with me to the grave. Patience. If we just stop and remember, and if you can't think of any stories in your life, let me give you one that applies to you. My Lord Jesus Christ. My Lord Jesus Christ could have come back a long time ago, but he waited for you. He waited for you. The fourth thing that gets in our way is that we don't appreciate the gift of time. The gift of time. Somebody went and heard the great violinist Fritz Kreisler. Fantastic. Went up to Fritz and said, oh, I'd give my life to learn how to play the violin like you do. And he said, I did. I did give up my life to learn how to play this good. It takes time. Michael Simmons comes up with the five-hour rule. He says at least one hour in a day, at least five hours in a week, really successful people take time learning and practicing something new. Malcolm Gladwell wrote a book called Outliers, and he said in that book, based on the work of a guy named Erickson, that it takes 10,000 hours of practicing a skill the right way to become a world-class expert at it. We look at something like a great pianist and we say, I'd love to do that. So we go and buy a piano. Two days later, our fingers are hurting and we can't play, you know, do, re, mi, and we give up. But then we watch the little five-year-old who patiently works through it. And by the age of eight, is playing Beethoven. The gift of time is God's way of giving us things 
that we wouldn't appreciate if he gave it to us all at once. Time really is a gift. The last thing that comes to mind about what might get in our way from appreciating patience is a lack of trust in God's timing. I think it was Garth Brooks who sang the song that I thank God for unanswered prayers. I can think of a number of times in my life when I was convinced that I knew what God needed to do with me. I don't know why he wouldn't listen to me as I tried to explain to him what he needed to do with me. But he knows better. He knows better. It's an incredible thought that God knows you better than you know yourself. He knows the world better than we know it. And he's patient. Over and over again in the Psalms, David, some of the time writing from a cave as he's hiding out, some of the time writing with warring nations all around. And he says, wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. And you'll never forget that amazing passage in Isaiah. For those that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength and shall mount up with wings like eagles. They'll run and not be weary. They'll walk and not faint. All is right in God's time. If we believe that, if we shun our pride, if we welcome his timing, if we see the value in the gift of time, and we trust in the power of God's spirit in our lives, we'll see how patience is a tremendous gift. And that's why it's such a beautiful fruit in the garden of God. Thanks for joining. No one has ever loved you like Jesus Christ. I hope you feel that love in every sermon that's preached on this podcast. You can find more sermons, transcripts, study guides at nathanguide.com. Please stay tuned for another lesson and rest in the love of Christ.